to another episode of the Core Consult RX Podcast. My name is Mike Corvino, and my buddy is here as always, Cole Swanson. Cole, what's going on, man? Doing great. Dude, it's just us. I know. It's just me, you, and Einstein over here. Einstein, thinking. It's always thinking over here. It's been a while, because now, and you know, people aren't in here, we can just talk about whatever we want. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be all we can make stuff, stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> People aren't going to call us out on our nonsense. Uh, well, they'll do it in the comments. Yeah, but not while we're recording. So That's true. It's a little bit better. We'll have a couple of days of feeling good about ourselves. <laughs> Before we see it in the comments and the emails. Yes. You guys are idiots. It's never actually uh, happened, by the way. No. I've gotten a couple like random things, but not yeah, anything They're crazy. polite, usually, though. Usually. Yeah. Not too bad. I don't it could be a it. lot worse. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, no, I don't get my feelings hurt too easily. Yeah. So now we've got another uh, classic guideline episode with just the two of us. Yep. Classic guidelines for those of you who did not know, the AFib guidelines have been updated. They have. 2019, hot off the presses. 19. If there's a guideline that comes out, you can count on us to do a very timely podcast. Super timely. We should have done this like the second it came out, though, just to really be like, what's yeah, up? We could have. Well, and for all they know, we recorded it then, and we're just we releasing did. it now. We actually, I, yeah, I take that back, yeah. we did do that. Right now, it just came out, dude, it just came out like an hour ago. An hour ago. Yeah. We were part of the release party. Yeah, we were on the research project. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not a big deal. No. Nah. Um, something to add to the resume. Yeah, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the AFib guidelines. We did an episode um, with AFib way back when we first got started. It's episode five. Was it five? Was yeah. it five? It's Quattro. Jeez. Mm-hmm. It was with Page the PA. That's right. Old Steve, Page mm-hmm. the PA. He was a student back then. Now he's a full-on PA. He is? is yeah. He he's doing okay. critical care. No way. Yeah, he's, he's living the big life now. Good for him. But yeah, so we did some... Uh, did we? It was the AFib and stroke. I thought we did. Yeah, stroke we, and um, then maybe touched on AFib. Yeah, we touched on another cardiovascular or yeah, some type of cardiovascular condition. Something like that. Yeah, whatever. But um, yeah. So we're not gonna go through every single bit of it, mm-hmm. and you know we'll go into the race one, race two trials, and right. affirm trials and all that because I think we've done that before. I think we hit those pretty good yeah. in episode five. So we'll we'll do a nice little refresher on some of the anticoagulants and we'll mainly hit the highlights of these new guidelines um, and talk briefly about why they might have made these recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. At least, you know, why we think they did. Right. <laughs> Our postulations as to why they might have. <laughs> Our theories on the Well, matter. I mean, we were on the research team, so we, we were in the room. Yeah. No, basically our theories are just going to be reading their explanations. Right. Um, and yeah, these are the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, and Heart Rhythm Society. So it's basically a triple whammy of um, organizations that put this thing together. Mm-hmm. They didn't even need my help on this one. No. No. Not even a they little bit. They usually call us, but... Uh, <laughs> Almost always. I think these were updating the 2014 guidelines. Yep. That's on rank. 2014. Yeah. It's been five years. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. We got blood pressure guidelines, dyslipidemia guidelines, yeah. AFib. We got all the new guidelines. Just rolling in them. Yeah. So much cardiology. Where are you at, pulmonology? Yeah, I know. What are you guys doing? <laughs> you guys have triple inhalers and there's no new guidelines. Oh. Hmm. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a tale for another day. I guess maybe it's a good thing because, you know, they did their thing. They got their gold guidelines and, you know, it's all good. Nothing else to update. Gold guidelines get updated pretty frequently, though. Yeah. I guess they not do. like a ton of new stuff usually, but no, it's like the ADA. It's like the ADA recommend put out like a, a yearly type thing. Yeah, every single stinking year, yep. new guidelines, something new. It's crazy. Keep those guys busy. Yeah, and while we're not always like you know guidelines are the end all be all, 
They yes. are uh, good little guidelines. Yeah, good little guidelines. So I'm actually, I had this conversation with my student, actually it's on rotation with me uh, this month, um, because you know, we were kind of talking through some of the stuff with um, HefRef, and uh, she kept quoting all the guidelines, and when I would say why, she's like, well, the guidelines say that. And um, you know, so we had this conversation that I try to have with a lot of my students, because somebody had it with me um, when I thought I was being clever by saying, well, that's what the guidelines say. And mm-hmm. we're like, uh-huh. And then what? <laughs> Who cares what the guidelines? It's a guideline. Mm-hmm. How's that going to apply for every single patient? And so that's where we can, when we get more into the actual primary literature that the guidelines are based on, you can really get into like the nitty gritty of like right. exclusion criteria and, and get a better understanding of the full patient population and hopefully make a little bit better patient-specific decisions. Yeah, guidelines are good to steer you in the right direction. And the way I think about it is, you know, guidelines aren't always going to tell you exactly what to do for this patient, but they very well may tell you exactly what not to do for this patient. Um, so you can be wrong by just totally ignoring guidelines and primary literature, uh, but you could be more right by taking the guidelines to the next level and not always necessarily doing exactly what they say, but um, using it as a starting point. And honestly, the other good thing too is taking them and going through the references yeah. and actually seeing who they quote. Because then you can just yeah. Because I mean, they they base whole... it on good stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And then you can you can just well, sometimes right, but <laughs> for the most part. But your patients aren't always going to fit right into their boxes, and they know that. So yeah, um, you do what you can. So where should we start with these bad boys? Yeah, so they've um, they've added some things. So uh, we generally poo poo a doxaban, which we still may, but they did throw that in there. Uh, it was added to the list of non-vitamin K oral anticoagulants along with Eliquis, which is a Pixaban, and uh, Dibigatran and Rivaroxaban. So it's in there. It's kind of the new kid on the block as far as the Noax go, um, which, you know, I think we had this discussion, but I guess they're calling Doax now. Uh, but in this guideline, they say Noax. So. They do. I was surprised. So I guess they have the say, right? I, who, I who's think, to say? I think it's because they... They mean it doesn't mean like new oral, it means like novel oral or something, yeah. But they're not even that, they're not even well. I guess they're novel because they're like first in their of their kind, but there's like a hundred of them now, yeah. You're right, so why they're not they thinking novel? it through. No. I think that somebody just likes to, to call them the new ones because it's new guidelines, they're just they trying just, to keep they it. just like acronyms and they can't get past it, yeah, you know. But it's cool because now we have a acronym for two different ones for the same stinking class, there you go. Um, yeah, why not? So a doxaban, why do we not like a doxaban so much? So besides the outcome data not being quite as impressive as uh, like a Pixaban, for instance, mm-hmm. um, what was it, the uh, the Einstein-Timmy mm-hmm. uh, trial with, with AFib and whatnot. So um, still not, not a bad option, but um, it's expensive. It's probably more expensive, um, less covered, I should say, also. Yeah, um, probably, probably less probably, covered. Um, more insurance companies are going to be going with the Pixavan and and Zeralto uh, yeah. or Zeralto. Um, but one of the weird things about a Doxavan Cerveza is the brand name. Um, is is that the brand name Cerveza? Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that brand name. Really, yeah. I've dispensed it one time. Really, and I was like a new pharmacist. So huh. Somebody had a prescription for it randomly. Never dispensed it. So if you have non-valvular AFib and you need anticoagulation, you can be on a Doxavan unless. Your kidneys are just too healthy. Yeah, if you're in too yeah. good a shape. You're, if your creatinine clearance is above 95 mils per minute, you can't use this drug. Yeah. it's. I don't know of a single... I'm sure there's other ones out there, but I don't know of a single drug off the top of my head that if your kidney function is too phenomenal... Yeah, like we're not talking about kidney failure here. We're talking about kidney success. Kidney success. Full kidney success. Yeah, that's what they call it. <laughs> yeah. 
It's clinical terminology. Your kidneys are always succeeding <laughs> to continue to do the things that they're supposed they're to be living doing. up to their full potential. They went to college and everything. Yes. You don't have to go to college to live up your, to your full potential. Mm, okay. I'm just kidding. You don't. <laughs> um, so basically one of the... Uh, the first things that they mention is that patients with uh, AFib and an elevated CHADS-VASC score, so um, remember CHADS-VASC is kind of the uh, tool we can use to assess someone's need for anticoagulation if they have atrial fibrillation. If your score of, if you get a score of two or greater um, in men or three or greater in women, then oral anticoagulants are recommended, and like Cole said, they added a doxaban to that list now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's more complete list, I guess, than before, but probably yeah. don't suspect can't people see a, using it. Can't see it popping up unless there's just no other option for those new ones, or if for some reason the insurance randomly prefers it. Um, otherwise, you know, we like Eloquist for the most part. Yeah. Um, and sp- speaking of those Chad's Vast scores, um, so they kind of threw this in there, um, which, you know, the the big one is that they're now recommending NOAX over warfarin, generally speaking. Um, so in the past, it was kind of like either or, uh, but now as long as they don't have, uh, as long as they do have non-valvular AFib, they're saying, yeah, we're, we would like to go with one of those NOAX if possible. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely, because before they were just saying anticoagulation, so the fact that they actually pick one and recommend one over warfarin, um, it's pretty big. Now they didn't break it down like they didn't say like Eloquist over Zarelto or right. over Dabigatran or anything, but they did say that class over Warfarin if possible. Um, and you know we know the reasons. Uh, while Warfarin's cheaper, uh, for the most part, there's less monitoring. Uh, you still do have to do some follow up and monitoring with these, as far as it's mainly creatinine clearance and bleeding risk. Um, but you don't have to do monthly INR checks, and you don't have to worry about what you eat. Um, there's um, not so much of a bridging issue like Warfarin and that sort of thing. Um, still situations where you would want to use warfarin, which we kind of went into detail on in our uh, episode five podcast, uh, but it's pretty nice. So I think while we were already seeing these a lot, we're going to see them more. And uh, with that, hopefully prices come down and in like 10 years, we'll be able to get generics. So yay. Yep. That's going to be cool once they actually get generics and we can be like, I remember when it will be. Did you see out? that um, Pro-Air and Benalin finally went generic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Medicaid uh, insurances aren't covering it though, so it makes for kind of a sticky situation. It's like, oh, well, we don't have the brand in anymore because we have all this generic, and um, no one can pay for it. Yeah, I know. Um, Cole, or not Cola, sorry, that's you. That is me. Um, Rich uh, from RX Radio did a funny meme on his thing where he had some uh, some guy. It was like a picture of a guy acting like he's like following a. a some female that he finds attractive and his buddy's grabbing him. It's like his buddy has got like the word PA mm-hmm. and non-formulary and all those things written on and the girl's got Advir written on her or Advir generic on right. her. And I was like, God knows. Yeah. He had it like within seconds of it being approved. <laughs> yeah, Advir, 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 Venolin, and uh, Proware. Those those are all generic now. It's pretty mm. cool. Yep. Finally. I mean, those things were brand forever. Way past the 17-year mark. Way past. Anyways. Hopefully no X aren't like that. Yes. So, um, yeah, what else? Where do we want to go? Um, so, yeah, we mentioned the recommended over warfarin, except if it's non-valvular, so that means um, except in patients with moderate to severe mitral valve stenosis or prosthetic heart valves, um, basically because they just haven't been studied in that, right? Well, there's actually been some studies, especially with, like, dabigatran, that's actually showed harm mm-hmm. um, when you use in um, prosthetic valves. With dabigatran being a little bit different, do you think they'll look into the others in that or no? 
they may have already. I to be totally honest, yeah, I can't have. tell you off the top of my head, but gotcha. um, I feel like that they're kind of extrapolating the results if they haven't. Right. Um, but who knows what's going to happen in the future. One interesting recommendation, which they give a level of evidence B, you know, because they they rate all these, um, is the decision to use anticoagulants, um, which Mike mentioned to me earlier. They're they're using the terminology anticoagulants almost exclusively as opposed to like um, antithrombolytic or antithrombotic because they're not really recommending aspirin anymore. Uh, They used to say, you know, if you have a Chad's Vask of one, um, then potentially you could just use aspirin and not anticoagulate. Yeah. But it doesn't really seem like they're saying that much Or clopidogrel or any of those. Right. They're not using that. They're you, using strictly anticoagulation. You can really find you can really find reasons to have a Chad Vask of two almost <laughs> in any any patient, for the most part. But they're saying that um, the decision shouldn't be influenced by whether it's paroxysmal or persistent AFib. Um, so I feel like the old guidelines kind of mentioned that with paroxysmal there's a chance that you wouldn't have to um have long-term anticoagulation potentially depending on if you you know if it's if he has high bleed risk blah blah blah, and you felt like it was okay Uh, but now they're saying it doesn't matter paroxysmal persistent um they either need to be anticoagulated or they don't yep um one of the other things i thought was interesting was the uh renal function um, so they want you to, they've always said renal function to assess it, but now they're also saying hepatic function as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they added that to the kind of the baseline criteria to evaluate, um, the DOACs do have a, uh, hepatic, um, dosing adjustments if necessary, if someone has liver disease. So you got to kind of keep that in mind. Um, renal function is probably more so we would run into in these patients, but, um, they did add hepatic into the baseline. Standard. Yes. So while we say, you know, hey, no monitoring with these NOACs, they are going to have to come and get blood work. You know, probably, I'm, I'm trying to think of how it was in the um, anticoagulation clinic I worked in. I think it was like they probably checked your credit clearance a month after starting and then three months, then six months, then like a year, as long as everything was fine. Uh, you could go to annually. So there is a little bit of monitoring, and I think that occasionally they would get like a factor 10A, but I don't really think that's necessary. Mm-hmm. For the most part, it's just renal, and now they've thrown in hepatic. Um, and the reason for that is, one, adoxaban, we mentioned if it's over 95, then you wouldn't want to use that. Um, Eloquist's criteria, um, they they have, you know, you have to be two of three, or if you um, have two of these three criteria, then you have to decrease the dose. Um, being over 80 years old, uh, having a weight less than 60 kilograms or serum creatinine greater than 1.5. So renal function comes into play there as well. So that's really the main thing to monitor. But otherwise, you don't have to monitor IRNR. And, um, you know, they have a reversal agent now. So that used to be another big hang-up about it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, controversy surrounding that as well. So we have to get... um uh, Brian Gilbert on here to yeah on that. We, him I, he allowed me to jump on and uh, help edit and some stuff a uh, paper that he's writing as a review about the reversal agent um, when the process of trying to get it published right now. So what does he think about it generally? Uh, I think he's concerned. Really? Yeah. So there's um there's just a lot of other things kind of going um, a lot of things that you, you take it at face value. It's like great reversal agent. Right. Done. Um, but you know I've I've heard both sides. I've heard some of the negative you know, uh, implications of it and some of the possible adverse effects and things like that versus just giving, um, you know, blood. But I, I definitely think it just depends on who you ask. Right. I don't, I don't deal enough and obviously in critical care to really give a great opinion. Maybe we get page the PA on here too and see, Ooh, see what idea. they got going on. 
Mm-hmm. Let's not tell him what's about. Just to yeah. see if he knows. Sneak attack. Yep. <laughs> um, the other thing I do like, and this is still you know from the old guidelines as well, but they do say to reevaluate the need um, and the choice of anticoagulant therapy um, periodically for patients. So you want to reassess the stroke risk, reassess bleeding risk as well. Um, the one, the phrasing there though, the antithrombotic uh, again was changed to anticoagulant mm-hmm. um, in that case as well. But uh, yeah, reassess. So putting someone on one of these anticoagulants and then just keeping them on for for life maybe not the best choice. Right. So reevaluating. And along with the creatinine clearance, uh, they mentioned that monitoring is important for that because if it's less than fifteen and they're still um, indicated for anticoagulation, that is one situation where you'd want to, or it'd be reasonable to switch to warfarin from one of those. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. And then they also added in that uh, having a Chad's vest score of zero makes sense for men, and then one for women um, is reasonable to admit, um, omit, excuse me, uh, anticoagulant therapy. And the reason that um, it's one for women is because women can't have a Chad's vest of zero. Right. Because they're women. Being a woman gives you a Chad's vest of one. Some sexist stuff, Chad's vest. <laughs> I know. What are you guys doing? The 21st century. That is not the move. We're going to end up on CNN for sure. <laughs> right. No, it's, um, they have that in there uh, because, um, statistically speaking, female gender does seem to be correlated with higher risk. It's a risk um, factor. However, they only really count that risk factor when it's combined with other right. members so of other was, ratings on the Chad's vest. So if you get a one, it's basically like getting a zero for yeah. a guy. Yeah, they don't just hold that against you. So why even throw it in? That's it, it is interesting. Yeah, it should be like a Chad's Vask plus maybe one if you're female. Right, it should be like Chad's Vask zero asterisk. Mmm, you know? the asterisk. That's throw a, that that's, in there. That's a good move. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. They should have had me on that team. My gosh, they feel so stupid right I now. Know. What do they think? Because you know they listen. Hundred <laughs> percent. So um, yeah, we're uh, what else? Chronic kidney disease. So yes. if a patient has um, a creatinine clearance of less than 15, um, or if they're on dialysis, uh, the authors basically say it may be reasonable to prescribe warfarin with an INR range of 2 to 3, or a Pixaban. Okay. Um, yeah. They actually list a Pixaban specifically. So that's that all right in, um, in kidney failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have, uh, the other thing I like about these guidelines, especially with the summary articles, is they give this whole list of recommendations, and then they just give this, like, massive multi-paragraph box of mm-hmm. all the different data. <laughs> so you get to, get to have devour, it, devour it in a couple of bite-sized pieces. Eat it all up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, reversal agents. So, the bigger trend, they give these level of evidence in R, which I can only means like only think means like not rated because that's what TV means. Um, but one is idereucimab uh, or idereucizumab, which I heard one of my professors call like I dare you to use umab because mm. it just was I guess dangerous back in the day when I was in school. Um, but way, they way say, back then. yeah, way back then, but they say it can be useful. It's recombinant or I'm sorry. They say it can be useful for reversing the bigotran, um, specifically in the event of a life threatening bleed or an urgent procedure. Um, so standardly you wouldn't, but that is a call that you can make. Uh, and it would probably be on uh, your hospital's uh, treatment algorithm in some way, I would suppose mm-hmm. if you guys even have it in your hospital. I think some of them do. It's just so expensive still. Yeah. 
That's yeah. some of the the feedback I've gotten from some of my inpatient friends. They say they have, you know, it's available to for them to get, but it's very expensive. You know, I don't really think about the inner workings of hospitals because I'm not there frequently, especially in an emergency situation. But my brother was telling me that they had one night where um, there was just two residents and they had a lady have a stroke. Um, and, you know, they were thinking about um, uh, using the the thing that breaks up the clot, which I'm blanking on right now. Um, oh, PCI? Yeah. And, and, or uh, you're talking about TPA, TPA if it's TPA. a stroke. Yeah, yeah stroke, TPA. Um, and they couldn't, even if she met criteria, like they couldn't administer it, they have to have a neurologist there. Mm, so I figured this would probably be probably a smart move. Right. So I figured they would have to have some specialist here in that type of situation to sign off on and administer. Um, but yes, there's a lot that kind of goes into these sorts of things. So one of the other recommendations, and I actually think this one was in 2014 as well, but, um, they have a situation where if a person's been on warfarin, and they have to have some sort of a temporary interruption to that warfarin, whether it's like a procedure or whatever it may be. Um, there's a question of whether or not we should then bridge with unfractionated heparin or low molecular weight heparin, um, you know, as they're kind of getting back on it again. Um, and that's for patients with AFib and mechanical heart valve um, that are, you know, like I said, need a procedure or an interruption of some kind for the warfarin. Um, so bridging, you know, we don't really, we think of that more with like VTE, um, when we talk about warfarin and, right. and you know, the reason for that, um, there's a, if you're not familiar, I think we've talked about this before, but if you're not familiar with it, um, it's, you know, warfarin doesn't just, we always just say it blocks vitamin K, but what it's really doing is it's, it's blocking the, um, the reduction um, of vitamin K. So it blocks the enzyme um, vitamin K epoxide reductase. And so as vitamin K comes into the diet, because we really can't store too much vitamin K, um, it's allowed to kind of shuttle off the oxidation reaction and it has an epoxide uh, metabolite that comes off of it. Um, and that allows the clotting factor to become activated and kind of move down the clotting cascade. So our blood thickens. Um, but we also have our anti-clotting factors, our natural anticoagulation that are also vitamin K dependent. And so as warfarin starts blocking these, the, the activated factors or, you know, anticoagulation that's been activated is already in the system. So you're basically having to just kind of let that, uh, to fizzle off, to be excreted, to be, um, just out of the system so you're basically on the half-life and they all have different half-lives so we are anticoagulation our natural anticoagulation actually has significantly lower half-lives than our clotting cascade and so the person ends up not being able to um, they don't have protein c protein s antithrombin 3 uh, things like that so that they're blocking the, the clotting cascade and kind of keeping hemostasis in check and so uh, the person's actually in a hypercoagulable state with just warfarin and so when we stop or start, um, you know, for an interruption like that, uh, in this case, because they've already been on it and then we're stopping it, um, they're saying maybe we should go ahead and bridge so that their person is not uh, having a lapse and potentially increased stroke risk. Right. I know I said that fast, so if that made any kind of sense. No, it's... it's I'm better at drawing that one out. It's reiterating, because we've said it before, so it's good. Yeah, there you go. So hopefully after, because we, we tend to repeat ourselves with lots of things, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to primary care Because we also don't know a lot, so... Well, I mean, you know, it helps you remember. That's it's what, what I said. It is. <laughs> what you got to pull up from what you got in the <laughs> toolbox. <laughs> our podcast is limited to our knowledge. <laughs> Ooh. Uh-oh. Cannot believe we made it to episode 50. I know. We're going to make it to 1,000? Who Just, knows? Probably not. Yeah, we'll see. We are long off the air by then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me YouTube and wherever else.
Um, so yeah, the new the new factor ten A recombinant factor reversal agent. So it's um and dexinet mm-hmm. alpha. alpha. Uh, they say it can be useful for reversal of rivaroxaban and apixaban in the event of a life-threatening bleed. We've already mentioned that that um, is has some scrutiny and is up for debate. Uh, but if it's you know if, if you think it's warranted, it is an option. There you go. And it was on an accelerated approval pathway too, so they rushed it through. Did, did they really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So when we think of you know blood kind of pumping through the heart you know we think of our um left atrial appendage where yes. blood is allowed to uh flow and is an excess of as the blood's kind of just going through the heart however someone with afib because the heart is potentially beating ir- you know irregularly um pull, the blood in that left atrial appendage can pool and that gives it a chance to form a clot and then your heart can then kick that clot out and you could potentially have a stroke so uh, one of the updated aspects of the guidelines um, was based on the approval of something called the Watchman device. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this at all? I have, actually. I had a patient um, in one of my rotational clinics that had had that procedure done. It's really cool. Yeah. I'll put the link to the YouTube video that the company made. Um, but yeah, they basically will take this. It looks like a, uh, like a PCI, um, kind of like a balloon, like if you're going to do a stent. Um, but it's but it, it you send it through it looks like a like a bottle cap or mm-hmm. a cap on top of a wine bottle or a champagne bottle rather it's a really weird looking but it goes up through like the femoral artery goes through um, and then it basically just covers the the hole leading to the um, left arterial appendage mm-hmm. blocks it and becomes part of the tissue yeah. and blood can no longer flow there and so they're saying that if a patient has uh, afib and is at an increased risk of stroke. Um, and they have some sort of a contraindication to long-term anticoagulation that this is definitely something to consider. Yeah, I remember because um, he was on anticoagulation and he came off yep. after it was done. I, I, I actually saw another guy with it, I think, but he was having some complications. Um, I don't think it's benign completely, but yeah, very interesting. Very cool procedure. Yeah, it is. There's a, If you're interested in looking more at that, there's the PROTECT AF trial and then the PREVAIL trial. Um, they kind of looked at the outcome data with that device. Awesome. Um, something else very interesting that they've thrown in, which I'm not sure if this was referenced at all in the old guideline, um, but in patients uh, with AFib who are at risk who have undergone stenting, coronary artery stenting, um, they talk about double therapy versus triple therapy. So this kind of threw me for a loop on one of my rotations because you know in, in stenting, frequently you're going to do dual antiplatelet platelet therapy. But then a lot of times these patients also have AFib. So are we using all three agents? Seems like a lot of anticoagulation and anti-platelet uh, options. Uh, so what this guideline recommends is um, that double therapy with Plavix and low-dose rivaroxaban, which they consider 15 milligrams a day, or dabigatran, 150 twice a day, is reasonable uh, to reduce the risk of bleeding compared to triple therapy. Um, so I don't think they give this a really high level of um, evidence recommendation. Uh, but if you really look into the trials on this, there's only a few, um, but they're pretty interesting and some are very strange. But actually, Dr. Bragg talked about this a lot, and I think he's an advocate of the double therapy as well, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to triple, because it, it potentially increases your risk and you're probably covered just with the two as best as you need to be. But uh, we can go more in depth on trials on that someday. Because yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff, yeah. 
Um, another thing too, I'll mention. You know, this isn't really our area of expertise, but I will mention it because it's in the, the guidelines. Um, where they have new evidence from the Castle AF trial, which looked at catheter ablation, mm-hmm. um, and specifically in patients that have symptomatic uh, atrial fibrillation and um, reduced ejection fraction heart failure. Um, and when they did the catheter ablation, they actually had a potential to lower mortality rate and reduce hospitalization for the heart failure. So the, that's been added in the increase in level of evidence because of the new trials that have come out. Awesome. And uh, they also recommend weight loss in combination yes. with uh, other risk factor modification, um, specifically for overweight and obese patients. Uh, and they, as well as patients with cryptogenic stroke, uh, where external ambulatory monitoring is not conclusive, you can implant a cardiac monitor device, um, potentially to detect subclinical AFib. And I guess that's more of a kind of in-depth diagnostic situation. Yeah, those are the major updates. Yeah, anything else that we missed? I'm sure there's something. Uh, I think there's there's a lot there, but these are kind of the big either changes or, um, you know, things to know. It's kind of like the executive summary. I like that, the executive summary. Yeah. <laughs> this is the most important summary that could possibly have put together. <laughs> Whenever Dr. Wirt says, did you read that guideline? We say, well, we saw the executive summary. That we made up. <laughs> did you read it? Well, no. Yeah. So um, we'll put a link to uh, the guidelines, either Instagram or uh, Medium, we got we're gonna get back uh, with the show notes. We start them and then we stop them when we get slack. So forgive us, we're trying to keep everything together. We just you know, like we always say, we need more interns. We just need some interns, is yeah. all. I have so many students. I think starting next year, oh, like, yeah? in, like when a couple months when the new group comes through. So we'll be getting a lot more done then. There's going to be some day where we're like, stop sending us interns. We have way too many interns. So I'm actually worried, though, because I'm a preceptor now at three different schools. Uh And I know for a fact there's one month where I have two guys from Miami coming to be on rotation with me. And I'm like, with my luck, I'm going to have, you know, two from Miami, two from MUSA, two from Presbyterian. I'm going to have like six people just following me on like an army of students. I mean, can you can you black out the month to the other ones and say, "Eh, I'm kind of booked up? Or are you just like, if I have six, I have six. I have six. Why not? I mean, do you have enough work for them you to do? You only YOLO once. <laughs> <laughs> you but, only you only live once. No, because I mean, like, what I'll do is I'll have them shadowing clinicians. I'll have them going and seeing paid. Like, we'll make it work. Yeah. Now, this particular setting, like, that I'm in now. Now, if I was still, like, you know, working in the community right. setting, it'd be very much, it'd be a lot six, more difficult. Yeah, six people be, in there. Yeah, just, like, standing around. But, yeah, this, I mean, it's such a big spot. I can have them going to different sites and... Yeah, you can do a lot more. Yeah, it's so pretty cool. Be, I'm, I'm kind of learning as I go with this because I've never done a... This is my first... Uh, you know, Nick and Patrick were taking my first two students. But, on, um, on this job site? Yeah. But I just started myself, so I really didn't know. So this right. is the first month where I'm like... I mean, there's go okay? How was that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that does them. Right. <laughs> they seem to have... It was awesome. Yeah. The oh, they, they had ever. the best month of their lives. <laughs> Changed their lives forever. By far. Yeah, Patrick actually texted me today saying he got an interview with uh, the top top schools that he interviewed for for residency or nice. put in for for residency. Excellent. It's gonna be the man. It's good to hear. Yeah, UOC does that. They get those guys out to residency. There you that's go. For sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll see. I'm I'm excited to kind of see this next group of students. I'm hoping we can really elevate the uh, the podcast and yeah. everything else we got going on. See who wants to get involved, and we will allow that. That's for sure. We got the uh, owner of. Um, 
TLDR Pharmacy. Oh, yeah? He, he wants to come on the podcast. Sweet. I talked to him over email. He, Love guys, his stuff. If you guys haven't seen his articles, they are some of the best. And as competitive as I am, this almost pains me to say, but they're so stinking good. Yeah, they're great. His Warfarin article, it broke down like the dosing and all that. I'll put a link to it. Uh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. I read it and I was like, geez, <laughs> these are so well written. <laughs> so he does and a fantastic job. So make sure uh, you check out his stuff. He's got a Facebook page and um, several other things, but his his uh, articles are really his, his thing. But he'll come on here, talk. He think he, he's an oncology specialist himself. So oh, really? Hopefully, we can get some oncology going. Before him, I didn't even know what that acronym or that abbreviation meant. Dude, I, I know I'm gonna love this guy just because he decided to name his his, his blog mm-hmm. company is too long don't, don't read, read. <laughs> i'm like that's hilarious you're yeah. telling someone not to read the vlog that is the whole purpose of your that is hilarious yeah so that's perfect um so i'm looking forward to having him um other people uh you know got coming up but if you guys are all yeah you know anybody's listening you're like hey wait a minute I've i have got something a, to add i have something to add i'm smart and i work in healthcare. yeah shoot us an email doesn't have to be pharmacist. Doesn't have to be PPA. Doesn't have to be doctor. We, yeah, we, we take some, everyone. We actually really want some nurses on here. Yeah. We we're in we've the had, mar- we're in the market to find a couple of nurses to come on. We've had some, but we can have more. Yes, for sure. for sure. We've only had uh, one or two. Two so at least. Two we've at had least. we've we've had an overabundance of pharmacists just because we have we to tend, be pharmacists. We tend so to know we're them. biased, which yeah. we don't want to be. So, yeah. Anybody else? If you're a pharmacist, don't even ask because you're already booked. Yeah. <laughs> We've got enough of you. We got enough of you guys. But uh, anybody else, like we definitely want to get here from everybody. Different specialties. Keep it keep it rolling. So it was nice to be on our own today though. Yeah. That's good. As much as we'd love guests. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it going. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we we greatly appreciate um you know, the fact that even two people are listening. So when we see how many downloads it's getting a month, we're, it's really exciting. Please let us know what we can do to improve. Uh, if you have any suggestions, feedback, anything like that, please email us. Um, reach out to us on any of the big social media platforms. Um, and we will hopefully hear from you guys soon. See you next time. Y'all take it easy.